Well, I am so encouraged. This is so encouraging. Honestly, uh, to get to be here uh, with you and to celebrate the gospel and to see this building built because of gospel growth happening in a people of God, so they need more space for more people to worship, to make more advance on the kingdom of darkness, both here in Owensboro and throughout the world. This is, I, I am honestly and genuinely deeply encouraged uh, by just the little bit of time I've gotten to be here. I'm, I'm actually a little afraid I may ruin it uh, with the rest of the afternoon. Charles Spurgeon said the worst sermon to preach was the afternoon sermon. It's nap time. But because of God's word, we can have confidence that he is able at any time, even nap time, to speak into our hearts and to minister to us. I want to I say to you that I am, I am tremendously humbled and honored to be here. When Pastor Ted uh, called and asked if I would come about a month ago, I was floored. And we, we just... The, the church I pastor, just getting to sing with you and, and hear you, we are just so on the same page. Jonathan, will you please come do the pastoral prayer next week at Emmanuel? I, I would have driven here this morning, driven here this afternoon, just to get Pastor Keith Maddie's encouragement when I walked in the door. The things he read on Facebook don't make any sense to me because they're in Spanish. <laughs> but when I saw him face to face, the encouragement changed. Honestly, I've been deeply encouraged by your pastors. Uh, Pastor Sam taught me the word salubrious. I never would have known that word if it hadn't been for, for Pastor Sam. If you want to know what that word means, you can come and speak to him. But honestly, to, to, to be with you, a congregation and a school community that has chosen to submit to such godly men and wisely to submit to men who are seasoned in ministry and young in the ministry is very encouraging. To hear the heart of your school administrator and just even to see his tears over this vision of some 20 years is Deeply encouraging. And before I say one single thing, I just want to say, and I mean this, thank you. I'm, I'm so glad to get to be here with you and to see this turning point. A heritage was born just a few years before I was. And so it's good just to sort of dip in late in the age and get to see a little bit of what God is doing in your midst. Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34 is what I'll read, but we will focus on just one verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. A very familiar verse, very clear verse, totally life changing verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first. That's, that's the Lord of the universe 
Jesus Christ risen and ascended. That's Him setting your priorities, my priorities for life. But seek first the kingdom of God above everything and His righteousness. And all these things, all these things, they'll be added to you. But you and me seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And just out of our esteem and love for the Word of God, let's read the context and just see where this fits. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not, child of God, bought with the precious blood of Jesus, made in the image of Jesus Christ, are you not of more value than they? That is the ultimate rhetorical question. The answer is just, yes. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. All. But. Now Luke's Gospel writes, instead. Instead. But. Instead. Seek first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's on my heart this afternoon to... Be used of God to realign our priorities. And I say our 
Because like any Christian, I feel prone to wander. Just like you, I feel prone to get out of alignment. And it is vital that we constantly are bringing ourselves back to God's ultimate priority for our lives. And if we don't know God, maybe we know religion, but we wouldn't really say we know God, then it's vital that you be introduced to God's priority for your life. And I know that in the midst of growing and expanding and bricks and mortar and building that it can be a temptation to lose track of the main thing. Heard about a church once they were called by someone and told of serious sin in their midst. Encouraged to deal with it. Even to exercise discipline because of the serious sin in their midst. And they said, we can't do it now. The 100th year anniversary is coming up next year and it would ruin the celebration. They had already ruined the celebration. The minute their hearts had wandered from seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, they'd wandered from the promise that all the things they needed would be added to them. Blessings, beloved, can turn into distractions. I just want to say that to everything that's been said already about this building being a blessing and an answer to prayer and a gift from God, to all of that, I give a hearty amen. Even so. Even so. Blessings can become distractions. You remember King Uzziah in the Old Testament? who started out as a humble man, a man who trembled at God's Word. Second Chronicles 26 says, And when he was strong, he grew proud to his own destruction. You remember Proverbs at the end there where we hear the prayer, Lord, don't make me rich because if you make me rich, I might forget you. You remember one of the things that can choke out the seed of the gospel in a life. It's not pornography or X-rated movies. It's just the cares of this life. It's the stuff all around us. Much of that stuff can even be the blessing of God, which if not handled rightly by a good heart, will choke out the very treasure it was meant to promote. And so when I look at this, I, I tell you, there's a lot of personal stuff going on for me when I look at this because we're just starting a building campaign. And I just walked through a gymnasium, a lot like this, that we'd like to buy. When I look at this, I just see opportunity. I mean, opportunity. Look at this room. This room is full of opportunity. If each of you know 10 or 100 people, that's thousands of people. And if each of you are 
poor North Americans. That means you're rich in the rest of the world, which means you're sitting on all kinds of money. I know it doesn't feel like it. I live here too. But you are sitting on all kinds of money that could be used for the advance of the kingdom all over the world. You are taking children from the time they are five years old and you are giving them Christ-centered education, the same kind of education in the scriptures that Timothy got before he was unleashed all over the world to spread the gospel. You know people here who will burn in hell eternally with a God who once the last day has come will never show mercy again. You know them. And you have a place to be equipped to bring them to Christ. You have a place to hear the word of God and to take in the gospel and to grow in Christ likeness so you can spread the gospel with your own lips and fund missionaries here and across the world with your own money. You have unbelievable opportunity. And this building could be an obstacle to that very opportunity. It could be. And I don't say that as a lecture. I say that as a testimony. I came to the church I pastored uh, 10 years ago. It, it's, it's, it's ugly. It's ugly. It's, it's really ugly. It's got 1950s red velvet torn stadium seating. The stained glass looked like it was going to fall in off the wall. It's lit. It was lit like a cave. When I came, the worship, the pianist wasn't even converted. We didn't know it. She didn't know it, but she wasn't converted. There was 400 seats and 17 people. That's not a joyful noise usually. And we had a photocopier that we called Legion, for it was many. <laughs> I mean, this thing, I could sit in front of this photocopier for an hour or two, and at the end of it, I had 30 double-sided programs. Lord, I'd like to be praying. I'm going to be preaching in a few hours, but I guess I'm going to spend some time here with Legion, <laughs> hoping there's enough programs by the time the 17 people get here. And there was a sense in those days, because we had nothing, that if God didn't show up, well, then we really had nothing. And we prayed like it. We prayed like it, because it was true. But not only was it true, it was obvious. It was just really obvious. And now we've, we've renovated, and we lease a photocopier, and when it doesn't work, we fire the company that leases it to us and get a better one, because we don't put up with Legion anymore. We've actually repaired the stained glass windows so that the congregation does not need to fear glass shattering on their persons during the service, and the worship services are, they're good. I like the music. The ushers are organized and friendly. And you can get right up to the time of preaching and going, have I sought the Lord? If God didn't show up, would anyone notice? Now, that, that's not to say, hey, let's return to the times of poverty. Let's return to legion. Let's, it's not, we're not going back. It's God's blessing 
to have a great facility. It's a God's blessing not to have a sound system that doesn't scream feedback in your ears. That's a blessing. But in the midst of everything going smoothly and things going better, you have to become more intentional, more intentional, more intentional pastors, more intentional to those involved in the school. Are we seeking first, first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness and then trusting He'll give us all the things we need? Or are we maintaining stuff because enrollment's up and attendance is up and it's great, but it's Ichabod. The glory is departed. The root, the first love, the passion, the presence of Christ that initially makes a people of God special can dwindle in the midst of singing choirs and well-lit buildings and well-functioning programs and better schools. And so I, I don't, I don't, don't hear me talking down about any of these good gifts. They are good gifts meant to be received with thankfulness from the Lord. And they are to be taken for what they are, opportunities with dangers. And I'm not here just to make everyone worried. (sighs) I would praise God for this building, but that's a danger, I tell you. No, that's not what I'm here for. I just want to echo our Lord's command. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things, everything you need to advance the gospel, it'll be added to you. But you seek first. And so let me just mull over this text with you a little this afternoon and ask that the Lord might set an orientation, a priority in our hearts so that when the five-year-olds here are the pastors of this church, it's still governing, governing them with the words of Jesus the Messiah. The first thing I want you to notice about this passage is it is a call to change. It is a call to change. But, you hear that first word? But, verse 33. But, what I'm about to say, it's different than what I just said. It's in contrast. It's, It's different. I said earlier, Luke says, and I like it, it's just so clear, instead, here's the way the Gentiles live. Instead, here's the way you live. Here's the way the Gentiles, the unbelievers live, but here's the way you live. It is a call to consciously, as a believer, embrace a new and a radical priority. It is a call to change. One lifestyle is to replace another. Well, which lifestyle is to replace which? Well, we have the 
lifestyle of the Gentiles. And Gentiles here just means the peoples, the peoples who weren't believers, the peoples who weren't part of the believing community. And it describes their lifestyle in verses 31 and 32 with a number of questions to just show what's on their mind, what's driving them. Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and these things will be added to you. What I find shocking here is it's, it's strange what Jesus tells us to avoid, to be watching out for. We tend to think that the worst things are X-rated movies, drunkenness, drug addiction. We tend to think that the worst things are adultery, murder, And indeed, those things are deadly to the soul. But here, Jesus points out, the thing that must be rejected is worrying about the basics. It's just worrying about, hey, what are we going to eat tomorrow? Well, watch that question. I'm not kidding. It can be innocent. Governed by a heart of anxiety, it can be deadly worldly and demonic. What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? You go through the magazine rack at the grocery store, which your eyes should largely avoid, but since you can't completely avoid it, what are they all about? What people wear? Where are they going to live? What are you going to do with your time? Just the basic stuff. Jesus warns us about anxiety about the basics. He says that's what we are to watch out for. Why? Because one of the greatest perils to a living faith and a life focused on the glory of God is simply stuff and things. Stuff and things. And the reason many Christians do not enjoy the kind of victory and the kind of freedom and the kind of let loose for Jesus lives that they could is because they think that because they avoided the big stuff that they were free and clear. When really what they need to avoid is just an anxiety about daily life. An anxiety about daily life will keep you from being sold out missional in daily life. It's not the tribesmen that might behead you in Africa you need to worry about. It's just worrying about the grocery list and the mortgage. And what is she going to say if I say that? And am I going to get fired if I tell my boss to repent and believe? I'm definitely not going to get a promotion. And that stuff begins to govern And we forget that the Christian life is not just the opposite of crack addiction. It's not just the opposite of prostitution. It's not just the opposite 
of these vile and heinous sins. It's the opposite of the stuff that people involved in Christian education are consumed with. It's the opposite of the stuff that church people think it's okay to be obsessed with. That's what the true Christian life is the opposite of. It's the opposite of just being consumed and anxious about daily, neutral stuff. Things that can, put in the right place, can even be good gifts, can be our obstacle. Look at what Jesus says about these things that we get all consumed about. They, they show a life of shallowness. Worrying about stuff is a life of shallowness. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will be put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If you walk through life mainly worried about the grocery bill and the mortgage and the career and the home and the clothes for the kid, you are missing the point of life. And the point of life is communion with God. This is eternal life, that they might know you and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, the world taught, this guy's shallow, that guy's shallow, everybody's shallow. You ever notice that all the people calling each other shallow are shallow? Just one group dresses this way while they're shallow, and another group thinks they're dumb and dresses a different way while they're shallow. One people eats at this restaurant and thinks those people are shallow. And another people won't eat at that restaurant, but eats at this restaurant and thinks those people are shallow. And Jesus says, you're all anxious about all the wrong things. You're all shallow. You're all missing the point of life. Life is about communion with the living God. You eat food to have communion. You put on modest clothes and cover up to have communion. You don't just stuff. It's just boring and shallow. Not only does a life full of anxiety over stuff show a shallowness, it shows a fatherlessness. It shows a fatherlessness. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? A life that's just me worried about my IRA, my retirement, my 401k, my stuff, my stuff, my stuff. That life is wicked, not simply because it is illicit, but because it is fatherless. And the whole point of your life is to commune with the Father through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the reconciliation He purchased for sinners on the cross. Your life, Christian, is not to be one of shallowness. It's not to be one of fatherlessness. And it's not to be one of powerlessness. Look at verse Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Who can do that? Who's got the power? You got the girl power to add an hour to your life? 
You got any kind of power? The only thing you can add to your life by worrying is an ulcer. That's all you can do. Keep tagging it in business by worrying. And the reason it's so wicked just to live a life about stuff and places and things and food is because it's powerless and fatherless and it shows a shallowness and lastly it shows a godlessness. says in verse 29, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Don't, don't you have a God? Believer? Don't, don't you live with a God who can take care of things in a minute? Who can work things out in a minute? And you don't want to engage in the kind of wickedness and the kind of sinfulness of living in a godless, fatherless, powerless, shallow way. Instead, give it all for the kingdom of God. Just go all out. But what if I don't have time to worry about getting a bigger house? He'll get it for you if you need it. What if I wind up like Daniel and I risk my career to stand up for the kingdom and somebody tries to kill me? That's okay. He's got lions under control. All these things will be added to you. He's freed you up. He's freed you up from shallowness. He's freed you up from powerlessness. He's freed you up from fatherlessness. He has freed you up. All you got to worry about is going hard after him. That's it. Now, I need to be clear to those here who are unbelievers. And I don't know what it's like in Owensboro, but when I say those of you who are unbelievers in Louisville, like nobody thinks I'm talking about them. Anybody. Nobody. Okay, I live in a neighborhood full of crack, prostitution, all that kind of illicit wickedness. I live right in the middle of that, and I say unbeliever, and nobody thinks I'm talking about them. Because we live in a world that doesn't have a clear idea of what a believer is and what a believer isn't. We stopped in uh, Omaha, Nebraska to get a cup of coffee on our trip. We made it from Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Louisville, Kentucky in one day. It's my first time with five-hour energy. Works very well. (laughs) We stopped in Omaha, Nebraska and we got out of this coffee shop and I could tell instantly that there's something kind of Christian going on about this coffee shop. It said, eat, pray, love, Sunday at 5.30. So some sort of maybe church service going on here. It said, soul hungers above the front door. I walked in, and you could buy Buddhist books. You could buy Christian books. You could buy liberal Christian books. And I was pretty sure that I was in the middle of what was considered to be an evangelistic effort. But what I, was, what I was pretty sure was going to be people who had denied the gospel. I walked up to the front counter, got my kids some juice. I said, so what church runs this place? We are a church. Oh, okay. Well, well what denomination do you belong to? And he, he told me. He, he said, but we invite everybody here. We have rabbis here. We have pastors here. We have everybody here. We just like to... And I just, I said, oh, do you like to bring them in and convert them? And he said, no, no. He said, Jesus never tried to convert anybody. I said, Mark one fifteen. 
Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said, well, they just need to believe in God. And I said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And what this man was demonstrating was the notion that's totally common in our culture that there's no need for conversion. There's no need to clearly define who God is and what a believer is. There's no need for any of that. And so before I make any application to the unbeliever, I need to just make it clear there's such a thing. There's such a thing as an unbeliever. Unless you have come to understand that you are utterly and totally sinful, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, unless you have come to believe that your only hope is in Jesus Christ and in His death on the cross and you can contribute absolutely nothing to your salvation, unless you've come to believe that in reaction to that cross you must turn from your sin and grab a hold of Jesus for mercy, unless you've come to believe that, you can be a Baptist, you can be a Methodist, you can be a Catholic, you can be a Hindu, you can be a Muslim, you have this in common. You are not a believer. You're not a believer. And I say that not to condemn you. The Bible is clear that if that's your state, you're already condemned. And I was there for many years. I say that to invite you into a change. This is a call to a change. It's a call to you if you're an unbeliever to repent of being consumed with what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat, whether it's being consumed like a Muslim is consumed with what they're going to wear or being consumed with Mormons and how they're consumed with the underwear that they're going to wear and what they're going to wear or whether it's being consumed like a North American is consumed with being fashionable and where they're going to eat. Whatever it is that you are concerned with, just the stuff of this life, I want to invite you to repent of living such a shallow, fatherless godless life and invite you to the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for sinners who couldn't get anything on their minds except stuff. He died on the cross to reconcile them to God and to pay the price for their sins so that they could be children of God and they could receive a promise like this. It's a call to change. And believers, I want to speak to you and just say, you need to make this change continual in your life. You need to make it continual in your life. You need to realize that Jesus gave this command to believers. He said, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. It's, you're a believer. He's your Father. You're in. You're in the kingdom, not by works, but by grace. You're in, but you need to seek the kingdom. You need to seek the kingdom. Just because you've been declared righteous, just because you have been declared righteous and placed in the kingdom, transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of His marvelous Son, just because you've been transferred by the most remarkable act of grace doesn't mean you can coast for a minute. You need to fight the flesh. You need to gouge out eyes. You need to cut off hands. You need to fight. And you need to say to the young people, you know there is a kingdom worth fighting and dying Four, seek it first. Seek it first. If you can't feel proactivity in your Christian life, it's because it isn't there. And it must be.
That's works. No, it's not. That's grace. It is the grace of God to say, I will save you. I will redeem you. I will justify you. And I will put such a heart in you that you will want to seek my kingdom first and my righteousness. Second point. Not only is this passage a call to change, it is a call to Christ-likeness. It's a call to Christ-likeness. I mean, who ever did this more and better than Christ? Sought first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now let me speak to the children for a second. Wake up. I know, it's five. Come on, you can do it. Every eye open. When Jesus was 12 years old, his parents left him in the big city. That's bad. Okay, that's bad. Parents are embarrassed to tell those stories for the rest of their lives. Okay? They left him in Jerusalem. It was innocent enough. Joseph may have traveled with the men. Mary may have traveled with the women. But no matter how it happened, they left their boy in the big city. And of course, they eventually realized it. Is Joseph, is Jesus with you? No, I thought he was with you. He was, no. Running back to Jerusalem. And Jesus, who did not have an ounce of sass in him, didn't have a, a hint of rebellion or disrespect in him. If he'd lived in the south, he would have said, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, every time from the heart. Says to them, didn't you know where I'd be? You should have known where I, would have, you should have known where I was. You should have known. He corrects his parents, but he had no rebellion in him. What was Jesus saying? And I'm speaking now to five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds. Listen to me. If you can hear what I'm saying and you know what's right and wrong, then you can go to heaven and you can go to hell. By the time Jesus was 12, he was so evidently godly that it should have been obvious where he would be if he was lost. And it was inexcusable for two conscientious parents not to know where he was. That's amazing. What marks your life? You should have known I was going to be in front of the Xbox. You should have known I wouldn't hear you. I've been playing this little thing in front of me for hours. There's an app for that, Mom. Jesus, from his earliest days sought the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When Jesus was tempted by the devil to have all the kingdoms of this earth, Jesus said, I'm only going to worship God. When Jesus started his ministry in, John, in Matthew chapter 4, he preached to other people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He advanced the kingdom. His whole life was about advancing the kingdom. And you know what he did? He took that perfect life of righteousness and he walked that perfect life all the way to the cross 
And in perfect submission, first to Joseph, then to Mary, and then ultimately to his heavenly Father, he gave up that life on the cross of Gethsemane. And he died so that 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds who have not sought the kingdom of God and his righteousness can be utterly forgiven, covered in his righteousness. And then one more thing. He died so then they could then seek it in their own lives. Not as a way to get to heaven, but as the fruit of the Holy Spirit in them. He died so that you could be covered by His righteousness, forgiven by His blood, saved by His death, and then given His Holy Spirit so that you could obey this. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do you do that? Now that you've got the Holy Spirit? Or if you claim to be a Christian, does this mark you? First priority. Kingdom of God, we've got a couple in our church. We have lots of couples in our church dying to adopt, want to adopt. Today they tell me we switched agencies, lost $6,000, put the adoption process in reverse. Why? Agency we're dealing with is unethical. Couldn't seek first the kingdom of God and deal with that agency, so we, we quit. Because the kingdom of God and righteousness is first. Now think about this. Just think about this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, I could ask you, do you, do you read your Bible? Do you pursue power? I could ask you all this, but I, I couldn't do it better than Jesus. Do you commit adultery? And, and not just are you actively committing adultery, but do you even lust in your heart? The eradication of even lusting in your heart is the pursuit of the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Do you murder? No, 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 no. I got my kids in a Christian school. I don't murder. Do you hate your brother? Have you ever called anyone an idiot? Raka, you fool. That, that's murder. Do you need to sign a lot of forms to convince someone you're telling the truth? Or is your yes, yes? And your no, no. What about divorce? Sure, there's not another exception clause, Lord. She's driving me into debt. She won't start bringing things up on the credit card. Nope, only adultery. Other than that, you're in like I'm in. You're in like I'm in. When you pray, do you, we're, we're seeking the kingdom of God. We're going to have a prayer meeting. We're seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Who do you pray for? Do the prayers improve when there's people around? Don't you hate that about yourself? I hate that about myself. Or are the prayers at their best in the closet when no one's watching? Is that where the communion's happening? What about giving? Should we put a big brick over here with everybody's name? Tell who gave the most? Or when you give, do you just want to make sure God knows? 
that's seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's it. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, under the grace of God, under the grace of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus commands. He did not die on a cross so that believers could bemoan the fact that they never seemed to be able to obey, ever. That's not why he died. He died to give an actual forgiveness and empowerment and change to a real righteousness. And if you've never tasted it, you've never been saved. You've never been saved. And here we are in a building where every Sunday they will preach the word of God. Where they will exhort you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Where they will remind you of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that forgives you of the Holy Spirit that empowers you. You live in a nation where the nation will actually defend your right to have this building. This building will actually hold heat on a cold winter's night and bring in cold air on a hot summer's day. And there is a pulpit and a microphone here for the proclaiming of Jesus Christ and him crucified. You have everything you need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have unbelievable opportunities here, now. And so seek him. Seek him. Seek him. Not drugs, not alcohol, not stuff, not popularity. Not a veneer of religion where you don't murder but you hate. You don't, you don't commit adultery but you lust. You don't Pray to God. You just pray in front of people. Don't seek that. Seek God. Labor every Sunday morning. Every time you walk through those doors, oh God, meet with us. Oh God, don't let this worship service be a trampling of your courts, be something that's offensive to you. Let this morning and the lifestyle that flows out from it be a place where I seek God above all. He's just saying the same thing up there. Yes, I'm just saying the same thing up here because all I've got is this verse and this is what Jesus decided to say. And so he must think that we need to tune up sometimes. He must think that there comes a time in Christians' lives where they need to get back at it, where they've let a lot of things slide, where they've, they've just let a lot of things go. They've, they've got the kingdom of God. It's in there, but it's second. It's third. It's in the back pocket. It's got to go front and center. It's got to be everything. He is the pearl of great price. He is the only one who's going to outlast the destruction of this planet. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the Savior for sins. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who from Him and through Him and in Him are all things. He is the only glorious Lord Jesus Christ, the one with His name, your name, graven on His hands. Seek His ways above all. Above all. Put it all away. Get rid of anything in the way. Get rid of anything in the way. Gouge it out. Cut it off. Repent of it. Is there grumbling in the church? End it. Is there gossip? Destroy it. Is there lust? Fight it. Is there a need for revival? Call out for it. Let nothing stand in the way of the all-out pursuit of the kingdom of God and the advance of it in other people's lives. Now briefly... If you're getting just a fraction of what I'm saying, it ought to make you nervous. Because people who seek the kingdom of God above all things 
Well, people just aren't that impressed with their religiosity. You know why? They weren't praying in public. (laughs) They get persecuted. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will face persecution. People who go all out for the kingdom lose jobs. I know one preacher says, I don't respect any pastor who hasn't been fired at least once for the glory of God. And I certainly don't respect any pastor not willing to be fired for the glory of God. Any Christian, really. You might wind up giving away a bunch of your money you didn't plan on giving. You'd be, you'd be broke. You might not be all consumed with your clothes and your clothes won't be all that special and you'll look like you were in style 10 years ago. A fate worse than death in this culture. (laughs) You stop worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Even stop worrying to some degree about your health and you go all out for the kingdom and you may wind up like The missionaries we read about who lost spouses and children in their pursuit of the gospel. You may wind up like that other guy, that zealous Christian who lost his job witnessing to the boss. You may wind up exactly like that, which is why this call has comfort. You seek me first. I'll take care of your food and clothing and your drink. I got you covered. I'll take care of you. But Lord, the culture around me and the Gentiles, they're all worried about all this stuff. Surely it's responsible for me to be consumed with all these things. No, no, you just take care of pursuing my kingdom. I'll, I'll take care of that for you. Lord, we're growing. We're going to need a building. We're going to freak out about it. No, I'll get you a building. Just pray to me, ask. Lay it before the people. You just keep yourself on the main track. Let me tell you one story and then I'll close. I read the first half of Hudson Taylor's biography, it, it now ranks among my three favorite biographies ever. Martin Lloyd-Jones, George Whitfield, Hudson Taylor. There's nothing like it. The man went to China, and when he went down a river, every town he went in, no one had ever heard the gospel before. But when he was a young man, he knew he was to go to China. He knew it. He knew he was supposed to go to China. He knew he was supposed to seek first the kingdom of God, and he knew that for him that meant China. And so he began to train himself because he knew he didn't have the faith it would take. Now, I'm not saying you're all called to China. I'm not even saying you should train yourself the same way Hudson Taylor did. But he knew where God was calling him, and he knew he didn't have the faith for it. And so he decided to test his faith, and he was working for a Christian doctor, and a Christian doctor was paying him, and he decided, I will never ask this doctor to pay me. I'll never remind him when he owes me my paycheck. And so... Life goes along, and the Christian doctor was a good man, but he was a forgetful man, and he forgot to pay Hudson Taylor. And a poor man with a sick wife asked for Hudson Taylor's last bit of money. He thought, if I give this to this guy, I won't have money for food, I won't have money for rent. He thought, but I know I'm supposed to give it to him. And he gave him the money. 
Well, God provided a little bit of money for him to have a little bit of food after that. But there he was again. Rent was coming due. He wasn't going to have what he needed. He wasn't going to have his stuff. But he just kept serving the Lord, seeking the kingdom. And one day he was with the doctor he worked for. And the doctor said, oh, I haven't paid you, have I? That The rent was due the next day. He said, I haven't paid you, have I? It's too bad I sent all the money to the bank earlier today and I can't pay you today. Hudson Taylor was sick. He'd just gone from elated, God answered my prayer, to crushed. He composed himself. Anna knock came at the door. Someone came to the door. It was one of the richest men in town. He'd decided that he needed to pay his bill to the doctor that night. It was Saturday night. This is before you could phone in your bills. No one pays bills on Saturday night. But the man came in and paid the doctor the bill. And the, the, the doctor paid Hudson Taylor. And he had money for food. And he had money for rent. His father had taken care of him. His only goal was to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And that's yours and mine too. Let this be a place that thunders forth a word of righteousness and a word of grace and creates a people that have only one thing on their minds, God's kingdom, God's righteousness. And let this be a people that proves time and time again that as you do that, God will take care of you. He's freed you up to think about just one thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this building. We thank you so much for these people. We thank you so much for your blood that's purchased this people. And Lord, we want to ask you that you would make me and them and us and all your churches full of people who only care about holiness and advancing the gospel of the kingdom. And we pray, Lord God, that we would see you be our Father and care for us in surprising and fatherly ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Let's stand, please. Let's stand, please, and sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name.